0: We are in the second week of our sermon series called Abounding Hope. And let's face it, we all need hope, don't we? (laughs) Because hope is what pulls us through the very toughest, most difficult times in our life. Yesterday was the 20th anniversary of the September 11th terrorist attacks on our great country, And in the immediate aftermath of those horrific attacks, many of us realized our deep need for hope and for peace that only God can give us. Today, we grieve the struggles of leaving Afghanistan, and we continue to look to God for hope in the midst of difficult times. I remember the fear that struck such a deep chord on that day 20 years ago. I remember the evening of September 11th, 2001. We opened up the chapel at the church where I was serving, and we invited people to gather there for prayer and to hear words of hope from scripture. I remember hearing these words from Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength an ever-present help in trouble. Nations are in uproar, kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice, the earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Last week you heard Pastor John preach about how the source of our abundant hope is God. Our God is the God of hope. And today we're going to see how the foundation for abundant hope is to be filled with all joy and peace. And that when we give our fears and worries over to God in prayer, we can trust him with the future. There's a theme verse from scripture for this whole sermon series. It's Romans fifteen thirteen. It says, May the God of hope Fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now in this verse, Paul doesn't pray that you'll get this itty bitty little bit of joy and peace that just kind of like trickles into your life now and then. No, Paul prays that the God of hope will fill you with all joy and peace so that you may overflow with hope. Imagine that you're a container, a vessel, and our God of hope is just pouring into you joy and peace that starts way down in your feet and then fills you to your waist and then to the tippy top of your head and then just overflows, gushing out, flowing over until you cannot contain it anymore. Paul piles up these superlatives to show us what God can give us and what God wants to give us. God wants to replace despair and sorrow with joy and anxiety and worry with peace, and God wants hope to overflow in us. Doesn't that sound great to you? It sounds pretty amazing to me, to have joy and peace inside, to have joy flow like a fountain, and to have peace flow like a river. And we have to realize that this hope, this Joy, this peace that Paul is talking about, isn't just about the kind of stuff that happens to us when life is good. As the psalmist might say when we're walking by quiet streams of water or in green pastures of grass. No, godly hope, godly joy, godly peace is possible even when life is tough, even when life is hard. I mean, life can be an emotional roller coaster, can't it? It's filled with all kinds of ups and downs that are often based on our moods or on external circumstances. Think about Paul's life for a minute. His life was filled with all kinds of successes and failures the minute he started preaching the good news of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. I mean, he was despised by Jews and Gentiles alike, although thousands also came to faith in Christ because of his message. He was run out of town after town after town, although he was also able to find refuge in some of the homes of the believers who came to trust in the message of Christ. Once, when Paul was in Philippi, he and Silas were dragged before the town council for causing an uproar in the town. You see, they had cast a demon out of a slave girl, thereby making her masters angry. They weren't going to be able to get money from her anymore. And so they were dragged before the town council. They were found guilty. The order was given to strip them, beat them, and throw them in prison. And late that night, while Paul and Silas were in prison, God caused an earthquake, to break down the walls of the jail, to fling open the doors and and the chains to fall off. And the jailer was so overcome by what had happened by Almighty God that he asked Paul, what do I have to do to be saved by this mighty, powerful God of yours? And Paul shared the gospel with him. And the jailer and his family were saved that night. Many years later, Paul was imprisoned again, this time in Rome. And it was there that he wrote one of the most joyful letters ever written to his friends in Philippi. The book of Philippians is really my very favorite epistle that Paul wrote because it is filled with such joy. It's hard to imagine that in spite of everything that Paul had been through in his life, in spite of everything that he was still enduring in his life, he could write a letter filled with such joy. Let's hear what he writes in Philippians 4, beginning in verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. It might seem strange that a man who was in prison could be writing to his friends and telling them to rejoice. But we can learn a great lesson from Paul, and that lesson is this, that our inner attitude is not dependent upon our outward circumstances. Paul was full of joy and peace because he knew that no matter what was happening to him or no matter what was going on all around him, that Jesus Christ was with him. As he says, the Lord is near. And Paul knew that Jesus Christ was with his friends, with the believers in the church at Philippi too. And so, no matter what persecutions they were facing, no matter what trials they were going through, no matter what situations they faced, they could have joy and peace inside as well. Paul goes on to tell the Philippians that they don't have to be fearful or anxious about anything. Can you imagine not being fearful or anxious? about anything? I mean, we all have worries, don't we? We all have things that we get anxious about. I find that they change as I get older and older. I remember when I was a little kid, I used to be afraid of the dark. And I was afraid that my friends might not like me. And sometimes I even worried about being picked on by a bully. And then I got a little bit older and I began to worry about what is it that I want to do with my life? Am I going to be able to find a good job? Will I be able to afford to get married and have a family of my own one day? And then I aged a little bit more and I worried about the responsibilities of raising children and and paying off all the bills. And then I aged a little bit more and I worried about aging parents and those creeks and cricks that are there when I wake up in the morning. And I've worried about friends and families and sicknesses. And I've worried about my children and my grandchildren. Paul is teaching us that whenever we start to worry about a problem or find ourselves anxious about something that we are facing, that we can turn our worry into a prayer to God. He says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving even, present your requests to God. What Paul is teaching us in this passage, and what I have found to be true over time, is that true peace isn't found in positive thinking or in trying to control the things that are really outside of my control or trying to convince myself that my problem really isn't real or as big as I might imagine it is, or even it isn't even found in the absence of conflict. No, Paul tells us to turn our worries into prayers. Sometimes I wake up in the middle of the night. Has that ever happened to you? And you're worried. And something's on your mind. And your mind is working overtime. And it's 3 o'clock in the morning. And there's not a thing you can do about it. Or is there? Well, there isn't anything I can do about it. But there is something God can do about it. And so sometimes I just say to myself, Jesus, I'm going to give this whatever it is I'm worrying about to you right now until the sun comes up again. And then if it's right for you and me to pick it up together and work on it together, then okay. And then I just say something like this, Jesus, I love you, thanks for loving me, I'm yours, you're mine, and you know what? Often that's all I need to find peace and to be able to drift back to sleep until morning comes knowing that we belong to Jesus and find our protection in him is powerful. The psalmist puts it this way in Psalm 27, verses 1 to 5. He says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advance against me to devour me, For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. I think that memorizing scripture so that you can pull it out of your memory bank and to the front of your brain when you need it is a great way to remind yourself of the closeness and strength of the Lord when you need it the most. I remember one time way back in my banking days, I was a manager in the credit collections department and I kept track of the metrics of the adjusters and the activity that was going on in that department. And one day I got a call from the senior vice president who sounded to me very terse on the phone. I mean, he was well-known throughout the bank to be just a little bit scary, and I'm putting it mildly there, believe me. And he called me, and he said, Mark, I want you to come up to my office immediately. Now, he was three levels of management above me. I rarely had one-on-one, face-to-face encounters with him, so I was scared. And I remember I had to get up from my office, go to the elevators, ride down five floors to the lobby to go over to the other bank of elevators that went up to the top floors of that office tower where his office was. And the whole way I kept saying to myself, the Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life, of whom shall I be afraid And I honestly don't remember what he called me up there for after all these years have passed, but I do remember just as clearly and as vividly as it was yesterday how those words from Scripture calmed my heart (laughs) that wanted to leap right out of my chest right then and gave me peace. My friends, we are going to face trials of all different kinds throughout our lives. Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus told us that we live in a trouble-filled world, but he also said that there is a way available to us to experience both peace and joy while we are in it. We need to have a realistic view of peace and joy that is produced by the Holy Spirit that lives in us. And it doesn't mean that we glibly shrug off concerns or difficult problems as though they're nothing at all. Biblical peace comes from taking all of our anxieties to God in thankful prayer, just like Paul tells us to do in Philippians 4.6 then we can make the kind of statement the psalmist makes in Psalm 33, beginning in verse 20, where he says, We wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. May your unfailing love be with us, Lord, even as we put our hope in you. You see, when we put our hope in God, we are given in return a a peace that is nothing like the peace that the world wants to give us. It's not an absence of conflict. It's a peace that we have even in the midst of conflict. It's a peace that far surpasses anything we can understand from our strictly human point of view. Imagine, if you will, the Atlantic Ocean. On the surface, there might be tumultuous waves, gigantic waves and and storminess, but, but deep down in the depths of the ocean, the water is calm and it is steady. That's the kind of the depth of peace that God can give us, no matter the storm on the surface. When we put our hope in God, we are given in return a joy that is nothing like the world wants to give us. The world wants to give us joy through things that equate more to happiness, like thrills and excitement and external activities. But the joy that comes from the Lord, on the other hand, is an inner delight in God and in God's promises that give us comfort no matter what. It comes from knowing that God will work all things, including tribulations and distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, or the sword, as Scripture says, that he will work all those things together for our good because we love him and because we are called according to his purpose. It is being able to give thanks to God in all things, knowing that God can and we'll use all things for our good. Biblical peace is freedom from crippling anxiety and fear. And it comes from being reconciled to God. And as much as it depends on us being reconciled to others as well. Peace comes from being in right relationship with God. And we know that the only way we can be in right relationship with God is by being reconciled to God through the blood of Jesus Christ. Romans 5 says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into the grace in which we now stand when we have the peace and joy that God gives us, that he gives us through Christ, we no longer have to live in fear. Scripture tells us that God is perfect love and that perfect love casts out fear. So fear is the opposite of joy and peace. Casting out fear and having the inner peace and joy God offers to us is a process. It doesn't happen overnight. And so maybe you're feeling like you're just a little bit low on your joy and peace this morning. That's okay. I have times like that too. We all feel like that sometimes. Scripture reminds us, return to the Lord. Get closer to God, spend time in prayer, giving all your fears and your anxieties to Him. This past week, some of the leaders in our church staff shared some of the ways that they approach their times of daily prayer with God. Did you catch it on our Facebook page? They were amazing. I so appreciated what each and every one had to say. They were so unique. If you didn't catch them, they're still there on our, uh, on our Facebook page. Um, I'm going to watch them again <laughs> this week during my devotional time. They were amazing. They teach us to give all our fears and anxieties to God. Or maybe you're coming here this morning and you're feeling a little bit more stuck than that, like, like you need something more. I want to share with you an opportunity that's going to start one week from today with Sharon Gard. She's going to be leading yet another edition of the Break Free class. Some of you, many of you, and throughout our church have taken that from her before. She's offered it several times. And lots of people have found that that is a way that they've been able to break down some barriers, break through some things that felt like they had been holding them back from from freedom, from a true, joyful, vibrant relationship with God. She's put together a little video. I want you to take a look at this video with Sharon and see if a breakthrough class might be what you need right now.
1: Jesus gave up his life for us so that we can live an abundant life here and now. He wants us to walk closely with him, surrender to him. He wants us to walk in the profound love of God and the profound love of others. But many of us aren't able to do that and it's because we are dealing with spiritual bondage. And that's what the Break Free Workshop is all about. In this course, we go through eight of the major spirits or strongholds that prevent us from a close relationship with him. And a stronghold is simply defined as a lie that we believe from the enemy versus a truth that comes from God. And those things impact our behavior. They impact our relationships with one another. And most importantly, they impact our relationship with God. In this class, we'll be looking at the stronghold of fear, which is really the lie that God isn't trustworthy. We'll look at envy which tells us that God doesn't give us what we need and it robs us of peace and contentment. We'll look at bitterness, which is really rooted in unforgiveness. We'll talk about rejection, which tells us that we are worthless and have no value. We'll look at the spirit of unloving, which tells us that God couldn't possibly love us. And it's also what addictions are rooted in. We'll talk about the occult, which is really seeking power, knowledge, or spirituality and another source other than God. We'll talk about the religious spirit which says that we have to work for god's love and for his grace and we'll talk about accusation which tells us that we are our sin and it keeps us covered in shame our next six-week workshop will start on sunday september 19th and it will be at 9 30. and then we're going to offer it again on monday evenings and that'll start on november 1st
0: sometimes we just feel like we've hit a barrier that it's hard to get through a breakthrough free class might be just what you're looking for. As you see, there's two opportunities. One starts next week uh, during Sunday morning and another one in a couple of months on Monday evening. Maybe you have, um, uh, you have joy, you have hope, you have peace, and, and you want to share that with others. I want to share with you one other opportunity that uh, God might be calling you um, to in order to help other people find new life and freedom. And that is our healing school, which will be beginning again. We'll offer it again here at Anderson Hills at the Salem campus in October. If you feel like you would like to learn how to pray for others and and pour joy and peace and hope into them, I want you to consider the healing school. I took it uh, several years ago with Bobby Cabot, and I can't tell you how much it's changed my own outlook, my own opinion, the way I pray for healing and for hope for myself and for others as well. It is a big commitment. It lasts about one week long, but it is so worth it if you feel like God might be calling you to that, I invite you to pray about it. You can sign up on the events page. It's worth it. Well, enduring an unexplainable peace and joy come through taking all our concerns, fears, and anxieties to God, and then turning them over to God in faith. Being filled with God's joy and peace is the foundation that results in abounding hope, a hope that changes our perspective. And so I want to leave you with these words from the Apostle Paul found in 1 Thessalonians. He says, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the spirit, do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good, Reject every kind of evil. May God Himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and He will do it. Would you pray with me? Holy God, Faithful God, we thank you that every single one of your promises is true, and we thank you for all that we are learning about how you want to take our anxieties, our fears, our worries, and allow them to give them to you, to cast them upon you, and that you will replace them with hope and joy and peace. Father, we thank you that you love us so much that you would give us these great and glorious gifts of your kingdom. Help us, Lord, to break free of anything that might be holding us back from going ever deeper with you, from growing ever closer to you. Lord, we want to be filled with joy and peace and hope like no other, like the world can't offer it, like only you can offer to us. And so, God, help us to do those things, to pray to you, to to learn and to grow and to um, dwell in Scripture and in your great love for us, so that we might have that peace and joy that passes all understanding. Lord, we find our hope in you and in you alone. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen.